Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, this is WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, and if you want to catch up on the latest in amateur and Olympic wrestling, there's only one podcast to listen to. Subscribe to Bashamania, the Bashamania podcast, and have a nice day. Yeah. And speaking of WWE legends, are we in for a treat today or what? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 75 of the Bash Mania podcast, where today's guest is none other than Kurt Angle. Now, I don't care if you're a WWE fan or not, because yes, he's a WWE champion, he's a WWE Hall of Famer, but he's also a state champ, NCAA champ, world champ, Olympic champ. Across both amateur and professional wrestling, Kurt Angle is one of the most decorated wrestlers of all time, and today he joins the Bash Mania podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to subscribe to Bashamania. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's Bashamania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashamania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, Mr. Kurt Angle, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course, man. I love your shelf, which let me show you. I'm just getting my office set up, but one of the things I'm going to do is have a shelf with the WWE guys who are on this podcast. And Jerry Briscoe was just on. So I'm going to have a shelf with action figures. So I like yours right behind you. You got the same mindset. That's cool. That's a good compliment. <laughs> right. So this podcast is primarily amateur and Olympic wrestling. But growing up, I was a huge professional wrestling fan. So I want to talk both. I want to go through the whole journey. You know, let's start back at the beginning. I understand you were one of six kids, the baby in the family. Who would have thought looking at you now? But how did you get started in wrestling? Uh, I, I got pushed into it. My brothers were all wrestlers, and they were, they were really good. They excelled in high school. Um, one went to junior college, and uh, he, um, he was an All-American, junior college All-American. He was going to go to Arizona State, but he – he was already married, had two kids, couldn't couldn't stick with it, and he had to let his dream go. And um, his name was Mark. That was my second oldest brother. They all wrestled. They all did extremely well. Mark was probably would have done really well in college, probably NCAA champ. He was he was that good. Crazy thing is he he didn't start wrestling until eleventh grade, but wow. he went to state. He went to state his first year in Pennsylvania, which is the toughest state in the nation yeah. right now. Um, so he he uh he had a great career. It was very short. It was only three years, but he really loved it, and he he pushed it on the other brothers. So uh, my sister was a wrestling cheerleader back then. They didn't have a lot of sports for women in the seventies, so yeah. uh, she was really athletic too. But she, you know, she was eight years older than me, so I used to train with her. She would beat me up. So <laughs> I, I had a family that pushed me into it. I didn't like it. I liked team sports i want to be part of the team and um and i didn't do well when i started uh when i got to high school is when things started clicking for me and uh i improved dramatically i mean i went from i was only a one-time state you know uh champion only. Uh, not, <laughs> well you know when you talk about olympic champions usually they're four timers and mm -hmm. you know three-time four-time national champions yeah i i was a late bloomer and uh in college um that's when i really picked up so my brothers forced me into it i was more of a football baseball player but 
in high school, I got serious about wrestling and I turned it around. And the, the reason I did is my dad was really into sports. We didn't, we didn't talk about school. We didn't talk about anything but sports at the dinner table every night. My dad was our, our biggest fan. He went to all of our events, football, baseball, basketball, wrestling. He never missed an event. So he was always there. He died in a construction accident. And, uh, I, that day I vowed that I would, uh, uh, be the wrestler my father wanted me to be and that that's what uh that's what motivated me to do it and do you think that your dad died when you were what 16 right yeah, 16 what, when did you start realizing like obviously you've had such a career in both amateur and professional wrestling but at what point did you realize like hey i think i have a bright future was it around that time it was my first year in college. Uh, my, my first match was against the three-time national champion, Carlton Hasserig, and I did extremely well against him. Uh, he, he beat me six to three, but, it, you know, for, for as good as he was, you know, if he would have stuck with wrestling, he would have he made the Olympic team. He was, he was that wow. good. Um, so I, I – and then my second match was against the, the only guy that beat him in college. And um, I beat him. <laughs> I beat him. He was a he was a he was a NCAA runner up the prior year. So when when I did that, I went to an open tournament after that, and I beat the world silver medalist on the Olympic team. He was also an Olympian. Then I was like, oh my god, I might be a, you know Olympic caliber. And yeah. that's when I started training at Foxcatcher, and everything started opening up for me. And and you know I had Bruce Baumgartner an hour away for me to train. To, uh, the heavyweight Olympic gold medalist uh, from Edinburgh. So I had the opportunity to, from from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Clarion, and, and Philadelphia, I had I had all my training here. I didn't have to go anywhere. So it was, I was very blessed to have what I did. And what led you to Clarion? I mean, now the, the landscape of wrestling is so different. You have Penn State, Iowa, Oklahoma. You have your traditional powerhouses. Clarion isn't one that is a young amateur wrestling fan. You think of as, as the powerhouse where somebody with a lot of potential would go. What led you to Clarion initially? Well, in the 1980s, Clarion was a powerhouse. Really? Um, they, uh, the, the year before I got there, uh, they placed sixth in the NCAA Division One. They're Division Two school, but they yeah they placed sixth. The year before that, they were ranked third in the nation. They were undefeated. They beat the national champions Penn State in a dual meet, and uh, they were they were they were the sleeper to win the nationals that year. And they had nine wrestlers that were ranked in the top eight, so Dang. they were expecting nine All Americans. None of them placed. <laughs> It was, it was the worst performance Clarion ever had at the NCAAs. <laughs> and uh, so with that, I, I went up there for a visit. I was going to go to Pitt. Um, no, no, the big schools didn't recruit me because I was a late bloomer and, you know, they didn't want to yeah. take a chance. So um, Penn State didn't want to recruit me. So uh, I, I was going to go to Pitt and I decided just to take a visit to Clarion when I got there. There was a small gym. There were about 4,000 people there. It was a dual meet against Pitt. A wrestling door meet and they had a rock band behind the wrestlers <laughs> and they were cool. jammed the whole time and the fans were painted blue and gold like a football game <laughs> and i was like i'm coming here <laughs> you know it was just <laughs> right. the atmosphere was crazy you know that, that's what you get in pennsylvania you got two cities and woods in between and uh there's a lot of wrestling going on in those in that nape of the woods right. area so um, a lot of fans, and, and that's that's why I went to Clarion. I, I didn't have a lot of options, but uh, Pitt was one of them, and that's where I was going to go. But when I went to Clarion and saw that, I, I, was, I was sold. And after you had those first couple matches where you say you realize, like, hey, I think I'm Olympic caliper, what was your expectation for yourself? Was it to be a four-time national champ, an Olympic champ? Like, what was your expectation for yourself after those first couple of matches? I was really smart about about my goals. I, I didn't look for, far ahead. I, I when I got to college and after my freshman year, I ended up with thirty wins. I think I had seven losses. It, it was a really good year, especially at the heavyweight division. And uh, I realized then that uh, I had to uh, just focus on that. And um, I, I what was the question you asked me? I got off. What were your expectations were for yourself oh, throughout uh, college? After my freshman year, I decided that I told my coach, 
going to be a three-time national champion. And, and he, he agreed. Um, but I told him, uh, I was really immature. My build, you know, I wasn't, you know, I had a lot of baby fat and I, you know, I, I was, I was young for the, for that, for that weight class, you know, the, you know, most of the guys are big and 270 and, you know, Brock Lesnar's of, of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I knew, I knew I could do it, but I, I decided my second year, I wanted a red shirt and that was tough because we had a great team, but my coach selfishly for me allowed me to red shirt so that I could win those three national titles. And, um, I thought I would be able to travel with USA wrestling on my red shirt year and get a lot yeah. of experience. So when I came back my sophomore year, I won the Nationals. Um, my junior year, I didn't. I lost. Uh, I had a, a really bad knee injury right before the Nationals that required surgery. So I held off the surgery and wrestled. And uh, I made it to the finals, but I couldn't beat the guy in the finals. He, uh, he beat me 6-3. to three. I just I – I attacked him, and I couldn't defend myself uh, once I got on my knees because my knee was – too messed up so he he did a couple of spin behinds and won six to three and uh it devastated me so my senior year I I I vowed that I'd win it back again and I did so I didn't I didn't get the three-time NCAA championship thing but um I did I was able to bounce back and win the title again so I got two NCAA titles and and after that uh, that's when I focused on the world and Olympic games and, you know, when you talk about the fact that you say to yourself, hey, I'm going to be a three-time national champ, and even if you were still a two-time, that's something so many people dream about. How do you think you were able to get better and elevate your craft to get to that point where you could still win two national championships? Well, when you go to school like Clarion, I mean, you know, when I, when I go to practice, I, I, my coach, he was so hard on me. Um, because there was no one in the room that could go with me, he would, he would line up six wrestlers and they would rotate <laughs> in on me. And it, it was brutal every day. And, and, you know, we're talking three hour practices. So he, he really, you know, he knew I needed more than what they had. So not only did he do that, he hired Lou Bannock, a 1984 Olympic gold medalist to come in part-time to coach me. So that was another thing that he did for me. And he also allowed me to go to Foxcatcher for weeks at a time. I would take my schoolwork with me and do it at Foxcatcher. And, you know, I, I'd miss a week of college, but I'd come back and hand the homework in and take the tests and whatever. Uh, so I, would, I was traveling back and forth and going up to Edinburgh to Bruce Baumgartner. Uh, wrestling's a really cool sport. I mean, if you – you know, I was I was the enemy at, at Edinburgh because I was at Clarion, yep. but Bruce and I both knew, knew that we we were special and that we had to yep. work together to improve each other. So yep. it wasn't a bad thing to go to another college and train. Uh, it's it's a lot different than the other sports. And you know, I'm curious. You've won so many medals, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But you've won medals at every level. And if you talk about both amateur and professional wrestling, you've won more medals and championships than anybody. Where do you think those NCAA championships rank with all the different championships you've won? Oh, the you know the Olympic gold medal is first. The the world championships up there with it. it the, the difference between the Olympic championship and the world championship is the world championships are on non-Olympic years. Yeah. So they have them every year. And uh, yeah. I think they even have them now on the Olympic year, which yeah. is kind of crazy. They didn't have that back then, or I would have been a two-time yeah. world champion. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, you know, it, it, uh, those two were the top two. And then, and then right away in college, the NCAA titles, uh, the, they – you know the the WWE stuff is awesome, and the, and I and I love doing that more than anything. But they don't pay comparison to my amateur titles, no. And you know it's funny speaking of that Olympic championship heading into the Olympics, you, you broke you broke your freaking neck. <laughs> you broke your freaking neck. Tell me how that happened and how that went. Did you contemplate throwing the towel in? Uh well. You know, when you go through a process for the Olympic team and the yep. Olympic year, you start out uh, at the U.S. Open. You yep. have to place the top six there. Yep. If you don't place the top six, then you're out. Um, the top six end up going to the world world or Olympic team trials. So you place the top six in the U.S. Open, you, you advance to the world or Olympic team trials. 
There you wrestle in a mini tournament. If you're second through sixth, you guys wrestle in a tournament to get the winner, and the winner goes against the, the first place guy from the U.S. Open. Yep. I knew I had to place first at the U.S. Open uh, so that I would have an easier time at the Olympic trials. So I was wrestling in the semifinals against a training partner of mine, and he caught me with a good arm throw, and I couldn't stop it, so I stuck my head out to stop myself from landing on my back. So he threw me, and I was going, and I, I put my head out the post on the mat, and I broke my neck. I mean, I heard a bunk, bunch of cracking and crunching. I broke four vertebrae, two discs slid into my spinal cord, and I pulled a bunch of muscles in my neck. So I had to keep going. I, I, I actually gave up three points there, and I had to come from behind and beat him four to three. I didn't know my neck was broken, and I still had another match. Sure. And it was eight hours later. I had uh, I had chiropractors crack, cranking my neck and and giving me um, uh, acupuncture, and and it, it was killing me. It wasn't working. And by the by the time I entered the finals against Kerry McCoy, two-time Olympic yeah. uh, uh, Olympian, uh, who is really good, one of the best heavyweights. He just came time. on this podcast two weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't do anything. So all I did was pummel with him and push him around yeah. and try to have better positioning. And it ended up – it was boring as hell, 0-0, zero, zero, but I won. So I advanced to the fine, you know, the top spot. So I was in the finals of the Olympic trials. The problem was when I got home, I broke my neck. I couldn't get a doctor to clear me. Uh, they told me I was done. Um, so I kept going to doctors till I got someone to clear. You can't do that now. Yeah. Uh, USA Wrestling, they, they have to clear you through their doctors. Back then, you can get away with this stuff. So I found a doctor that gave me a healing agent. It wasn't a steroid because we weren't allowed to use that. Yeah. Uh, but he gave me a healing agent. He told me, we're going to travel with you. And before each match, the trials and the Olympics, if, uh, if, if you need it then, uh, we're going to stick you with 12 different shots of Novocaine in your neck to numb it. So you feel it. So I didn't feel a thing when I was wrestling. It, it was awesome. But the problem was when, I, when, when it wore off, I was in excruciating yeah. pain. And I, I didn't know what the damage I was doing to myself. So uh, fortunately, I didn't do anything crazy. And I won the Olympic trials and uh, made the Olympic team. And um, so the doctors did the right thing. And uh, me taking a chance, uh, I'm glad I did. Um, the thing is, I, I didn't want to go another four years, and I knew I would if I didn't make the team. Yeah. Um, so I, I decided that uh, I'm going to push forward, go to the Olympics, and see what happens. And we did the same thing there, and it worked out. Was there moments of questioning whether or not you could do that? Like, you have something like a, a broken neck. Is there moments of, like, maybe I can't do this? Yeah, I, I tried to train, and I couldn't. Um, I went up to Edinburgh to train with Bruce Baumgartner, and the, the moment he tied up with me, I, I just, I, it hurt so badly when he grabbed my head I and cranked him down. And I left the room and I started crying. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to do this. So um, my doctor said, you can't train. Uh, you can run, do sprints, you know, lift weights that won't bother your neck. Uh, work around it and, uh, you know, and just stay off the mats because you're not, you're not going to help yourself by, by hurting your neck more. So, I couldn't do much for a month before the trials. I just kind of did whatever I could and made it there. So I, I was really fortunate to be able to continue. And you had so much adversity. I mean, you mentioned your dad died in a freak accident. I know you lost your sister due to a heroin overdose. You, you broke your neck. You dealt with the murder of Dave Schultz. Like you dealt with so much. How did you push through all of that adversity and keep going and not just throw the towel and say, ah, maybe God's got a different plan for me? I, I, I just, I knew that's what the people that were important to me, um, I knew that's what they wanted me to do. Dave Schultz taught me for, he took me under his wing when I was in college. He, he saw something in me that nobody else did. And he took notice to that. And he would pull me aside all the time and teach me new technique. He, he always knew I had what it took. I didn't yeah. know that, but, but Dave, um, you know, Dave taught me. And the thing is, uh, when he when he died, it was six months before the Olympics. He taught me enough to know I, I I could train myself from here on in. So I had other coaches, Greg Strobel, Bruce Burnett. Uh, you know, they, they were awesome. Joe Say, but um, Dave was special, and you know, he he learned seven different languages just so he could learn technique from 
wrestlers throughout the world. He was, he was incredible. So to lose him was really hard, but it motivated me to, to do what he taught me. And, uh, you know, I never looked back. I, uh, you know, I, I did everything that I wanted to do. And it was, it was a, a lot of it was because of Dave. Yeah. And, you know, after everything you endured leading up to this point, you make it for the Olympics where there's still adversity, right? There's bombs going off in Olympic Park. Like, it's it's nuts. Did you know right then and there after you had won the gold, I did everything I wanted to do? Uh, you mean after the Olympics? Yeah, after you win the Olympics. Did you feel yeah, like you that satisfaction? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, in the finals, when we were waiting for the referee's decision, I made a, a promise to myself. I, I didn't know who won. It was really tight match uh, between myself and Nabis Shadidi. And uh, I took him down at the end, and the referees, only one gave me a point. The other two didn't give me the point yet. And they, they held off, and, and the time expired. So I think that last takedown was the, you know, the yeah. deciding factor. Um, so when I was sitting there waiting, just standing, uh, the referee – came back and obviously Didi, we, we were getting ready to see which hand they were going to raise. I told myself, if I don't win, I'm going to go another four years. Wow. And, and I didn't want to do it, but there was no way I was going to leave amateur wrestling without winning the gold medal. So uh, when, when he raised his own hand, I was devastated. I, when, when the Iranian raised his own hand, I thought I lost. And then I saw the referee trying to push his hand down and push it down <laughs> and to put mine up. And I was, so I thought, I was devastated, and all of a sudden, I'm elated, and it was, it was such an emotional roller coaster that I literally hugged the referee. I didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was like I lost. I, you know, this my my whole world came to an end, and then all of a sudden, I'm no, oh, I won. So it, it was a really big emotional roller coaster, and it, it actually made me cry. I mean, I, I, I was it. I was probably crying more from depression than I was being excited because <laughs> I thought I, I thought the refs picked the other guy. So it was it was very interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. And before we kind of talk about the road to the WWE, I, I do want to touch on your faith. You've boldly touted your relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and I know how much it's done for you. And you know, we keep talking about adversity. And I'm curious how much your faith has played into both your success and your career up until this point. Well, the God gives me the strength to do it. I, I, I've always given him credit for everything I've done. Um, you know, I, I, I've always looked at life, uh, you know, I, I talk to God all the time. So I have such a great relationship with him. Um, uh, we talk all, I, I'm not a big get on your knees and pray. I'm a big talk to God all day and yeah. talk to him. So, you know, I, I really honestly believe that our conscience that tells us what to do right and wrong. I believe that's our spirit that's attached yeah. to God. And uh, he, he, you know, he tells me what the right thing is, whether I want to hear it or not. <laughs> when you're, when you're honest with God, you're honest with yourself and uh, yeah. you don't lie to yourself. You, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, sugarcoat it. You, you tell yourself the truth and what you need to do and what you have to do. And, um, you know, I never thought I was any better than I was. I, I, I always worked harder to get better because I didn't never thought I was good enough. So, uh, you know, that, that has a lot to do with my relationship with God. And after the Olympics, was there prayer and was there conversations with God? Like, what do I do now? I fulfilled my, <laughs> what I wanted to do, right? Like I, I won the Olympic gold. Like, what was next after you won the Olympics? I know Vince McMahon offered you a 10-year, multimillion-dollar deal, and you're like, nah, I'm good, initially. What was your thoughts after the Olympics? Well, I, I, I didn't know. You know, I woke up the next day, and, and it, was, it was a little depressing because yeah. that's, all, that's all I thought about. I, I, I did, you know, I went to college. I got an education. I got a degree. But uh, the only thing I was concerned about was making the Olympic team win an Olympic gold medal. When you're done with that, um, you don't know where else to look. That was my motivation my whole life. So now I was like, what do I do now? And, and nothing was replacing that feeling. Uh, I, I did a sports casting job in Pittsburgh for Fox 53, and I did that for a year. It wasn't very good. I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, you know, it was crazy. I mean, they threw me, they threw me in the fire. I mean, yeah. uh, when I tell you, guys, I'm, I'm doing it with you. Go, go, go. Um, I, uh, so I, I, 
you know, the, the first night on the air, my teleprompter went out. And my, and my, right before I got there, I ran into the producer and all my scripts went all over the place and went out of order. So I couldn't read the script or the teleprompter. It was the worst eight minutes of my life. And, and the crazy thing is that our lead sportscaster said, Kurt, I've been doing this for 20 years. That never happened to me. And that was your first night. So that's how my sportscasting, you know, career went. Uh, uh, but after that, after the year, I started watching WWE and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock really intrigued me. And, and these guys were really great athletes. And I was really impressed on how they performed. And, you know, I understood it was entertainment. And, and Vince McMahon came out of the closet and said, hey, this isn't real. This is sports entertainment. And, you know, we, we, we entertain the fans. So I decided to call the WWE. And I said, is that offer still stand? And, and Jim Ross said, nope. Uh, you're going to have to try out. <laughs> so in, in late 1998, I did a tryout, and it went extremely well. I mean, in, in two hours, they offered me a contract. I was picking up on the techniques and everything. Obviously not the psychology. You don't do that right away. But um, it, was, it came to me relatively quickly. I literally did my first match my third day training. And it was pretty good. So they, they were like, we're going to start you this year. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be ready by December of 98. <laughs> I started in, in September. Right. So uh, they, they decided to have me travel with them for Raw SmackDown and do dark matches uh, on Monday and Tuesday. And so I, I did that for about six months. Then they started me. And uh, that's where it all began. Was that humbling? <laughs> Going up and down between you, you're offered a 10 year deal and you turn it down and then you call them back and you're like, is that deal is on the table? No, you got to try out. And I love your transition to the WWE as a fan. Cause you're like, I'm an Olympic freaking hero. Like, yeah, was there, yeah. was there a sense of realism to that as you're trying out? Like I'm an Olympic hero and I got to try out. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's my fault. I mean, you know, <laughs> thing was, I think in 98, WWE was still, you know, losing the WCW ratings. I think, I think yeah. they were doing really well, but I think yeah. that, uh, or I mean, 96, 96, when they offered me the deal, yeah. I don't think they were doing as well as they were doing in 98. Right. So it was like, we need this guy. This guy's a liberal menace. He's a big name. Let's get him. And then in the late 98, they were like, well, we're doing pretty good now. We're beating WCW and Stone Cold yeah. Steve Rock, Triple H, Undertaker, you know, they're, they're, they're headlining. And, uh, you know, maybe we don't need them as much as we thought we did. So I had to, I had to go through the process. And uh, I didn't mind. I mean, that's what I did my whole life. I always had to prove myself. So it wasn't a problem. Uh, the issue was the money. I mean, you know, going for a multi-million dollar contract – uh, to getting $75,000 a year. It was, you know, it was a bit humbling. So yeah. I, I, had to, I had to eat it for a year until I got on TV. But once I got on TV and I elevated it so quickly, the money just, you know, came fast. And what was that transition like from, you know, I always talk to people in this podcast about the at the transition after you win an NCAA championship or even a world or Olympic championship, you're still in a small arena to win those gold medals. You're not on a stage like a Monday night raw stage. What was that transition like from the amateur wrestling scene to the professional wrestling scene where you walk into an arena every single week with so many more people than aside from the NCAA championships, which is a great event. You're wrestling dual meets and tournaments around the world where, You've got maybe a couple thousand people. What was that transition like to all of a sudden having the spotlight really on you every week? Well, I think, um, you know, I got enough exposure in front of big crowds, you know, the Olympics, yeah. going to Bulgaria, going to Russia. I mean, there, there are 12,000 people there. It was, it was pretty cool, that, you know, events that they had. Uh, so I traveled the world quite a bit. But the difference between pro and amateur is, you know, when you, when you come out, to wrestle an amateur match, uh, you show no emotion. You ignore the crowd. You focus yeah. on your opponent. It's not about telling a story. It's about getting this match over with as quick as you can, pinning this guy. If you can't pin him, you got to beat him by points. Yeah. So you're just focused on your opponent. 
the hard part about making the transition to WWE was including the crowd, showing emotion, telling a story, having psychology, uh, doing their techniques, which, you know, when I wrestled the Olympics, it was by instinct. I went by reaction. You yeah. know, now I have to think about what I had to do and what was going to happen afterward, what was going to happen two minutes from now, five minutes yeah. from now. So um, there was a lot of psychology in, in the thought process that had to change with me. Uh, but I, I, you know, I studied a lot of tapes, watched a lot of Undertaker and Austin, Rock, Triple H, uh, uh, Chris Benoit, uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, you know, guys like that, Sting, uh, you know, even Hulk Hogan. I loved watching him. Uh, so I learned a lot by watching film and, and it, it picked up pretty quickly. So I, I was, you know, within when I started on TV, I won the world championship in 10 months. Uh, that's. That's pretty quick. And I only had six months experience before that. that I don't think anyone's ever done that. Um, so that it was, it was quick, but I, I, I'm a good learner and I'm a, I'm a, I teach myself very well, very thorough about that. Yeah. And you know, when you go from being truly an Olympic hero and we were talking about this earlier, like, you know, I'm 34 years old. So I grew up in the height of the attitude era. That for me was, that was like the peak. Like when you started watching is, when I started watching, that was, you know, huge. And when you go from wrestling your whole life to being adored by a nation, representing the nation, and then, you know, it was funny, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was watching old clips and going back, and one of the funniest clips to me was when you walk out to the ring and you were so mad they were chanting, you suck, you walked back to the back, and then you came back out and said, I'm going to do it again, right? Like, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that say, like, it doesn't matter if you're booed or cheered, just getting a reaction of pro wrestling is everything. But when you have 20,000 people chanting, you suck, what was that like going to that from being, like, cheered for by a nation? Like, you're representing the, the United States of America, you're an Olympic hero, and now truly people are chanting, you suck. Like, what was that transition like? Well, that that was all Vince McMahon's idea. He, um... You know, he did the same thing with uh, The Rock when Rocky Maivia yep. started. And he tried to make him a baby face, a good guy, and it didn't work. So this time he knew it was going to He knew that when they pushed me as this milk drinking Olympic gold medalist, go by the three eyes, intensity, integrity, intelligence, uh, do everything by the book, um, people thought that was cookie cutter. So they were like, yep. this is not the new baby face. <laughs> the new baby face is Stone Cold Steve Austin, the badass. That flips off his boss, drinks beer, does all the wrong things. Yep. So Vince knew that when he, when I did this character, and, and my character was pretty annoying. So um, <laughs> very funny, but annoying. A lot of people tell me now, Kurt, I hated you back when I was a kid. <laughs> but now I understand why you did it. Right. Um, so, you know, Vince told me to run with it and just, you know, soak it up. And uh, the more upset and angry i was at them chanting you suck the better and it worked extremely well it was a really good uh plan that he had do you have like a favorite skit like there's so many like the milkomania i remember like it was yesterday like you're driving a milk truck down to the ring spraying milk across the ring do you have a favorite skit like every week it was so different like i finally my my wife is is becoming a huge amateur wrestling fan and she never really watched pro wrestling, but I was showing her some of your stuff. And she's like, every week we were watching when you imitated HBK and when you're you know, doing these imitations. She's like, man, he, has, yeah. he had so many gimmicks. Like, did you have a favorite that you enjoyed the most? I, I actually enjoyed the stuff I did with Austin. It was, you know, it, it was, it was tough because I wanted to be wrestling at that time, but I just got done wrestling Shane McMahon in a street fight. King of the Ring 2001, and um, I, I I cracked my tailbone, so I was out of commission. Austin uh, broke a bone in his back, so he was out of commission. So Vince was like, "Geez, my two top guys are you know uh, hurt. What do we do?" And he he decided to have a uh, Steve and Vince thought, "Let's have a little threesome and uh, make it a group and." Uh, We'll do a lot of funny pre-tapes. And the crazy thing was very little was written. They were just ideas. And then, yeah. you know, Vince McMahon said, listen, do not laugh at all because <laughs> we've got to get this done. 
So uh, you guys, when, when I yell cut, you can laugh all you want. And so we were doing these stuff, you know, with the, with, you know, um, the tiny cowboy hat. <laughs> cowboy hat. So, we, you know, we were having fun and, and, and it worked extremely well. We, we didn't know it was going to be that funny, but um, it, it was really good. That was my favorite because I didn't have to wrestle to get over. I, it was, you know, it was working so well and it was starting to uh, turn me babyface. So that's when I had the program with Austin afterward. And, uh, and then Vince wanted me heal right back again, right after it. Cause he, he, you know, I was his best heel. I really was. And it's crazy. Cause I won a gold medal. You think, right? you know, he would have made me the big face of the company, but he, he just loved my character and he wanted me to keep doing it. So uh, I, I, I spent most of my time in WWE as a heel. And was that natural to do those skits, to have that character? Like, you know, I was watching like your top 10 most hilarious moments WWE put out and a couple of other videos. And it, it seems so natural. Like you're in a rap battle with John Cena and being a huge amateur wrestling fan, I try to think of the Jordan Burroughs and Cal Sanderson's doing that. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, was that a natural transition to that side of the business? Yeah, I didn't know I had it. Um, I, I, I was, it was never, I was never forced to do it. And, you know, when, when I had the opportunity, it just came to me and, you know, it, it was, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, when I started, we didn't have a lot of time to, you know, they have NXT now and they work on promos and they work on pre-tips, they work on matches, yeah. they work on technique. We didn't have that back then. We, we had a Dory Funk Dojo where we wrestled and learned how to bump and, you know, put our matches together, but that was it. So there wasn't a lot of talking. I didn't, I thought Vince was going to use me just as a wrestler and I wasn't going to speak much. I thought I would probably have a manager, but the first night on the air, he, uh, he told me to, um, actually it wasn't on the air. It was, he wanted me to do a preconditioned promo in Pittsburgh in my hometown, right after I debuted the night before in Detroit for Survivor Series. Yeah. And he, he was, he was telling me what to say. He didn't write it down. So he didn't, I didn't read it from a script. He told me what to say. And the whole time I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm not going to remember this. <laughs> and when he got done after five minutes, he said, uh, you have it. And I said, I'm sorry, Vince, but I didn't hear a word you said. And he said, all right, I'm going to tell you one more time. You better nail this. So he told me again, I got about, 70% of it right but it, the promo worked really well and uh, yeah. and that's when Vince said okay I just told this kid five minutes of stuff to say he remembered 70% of it and he delivered it perfectly okay we got ourselves a, we have ourselves a yeah. promo guy we have ourselves more than just a talent that's going to just wrestle in the ring so from there he never looked back he just more and more I mean I probably I probably did more promos and pre-tapes than any other wrestler. Maybe The Rock might be right there with me, but it was, you know, I did a lot of that stuff and I wrestled quite a bit. So I would say, you know, from 2000 to 2006, I was on TV more than anybody. Yeah. And I mean, you shared the ring and you did promos with Cena, Rock, Undertaker, Austin, HBK. You shared the ring with, with the best of the best. And did you know at that time, like you were a part of something special where when, when a lot of people, especially my age in their thirties, think WWE, they think attitude era. And you came in just as it was going up. Like, did you know you were part of something special as it was happening? I, I didn't know at the time. I mean, you know, what, what was really cool was we had so many superstars at that point. Um, you know, I think that when you're talking about, top tier main event highest level talent there were probably more back then than, than ever yeah before yep. you know undertaker austin rock triple h um you know myself chris jericho chris benoit eddie guerrero uh you know booker t came in goldberg uh you know it was just there was so much there were so many guys batista there were just so many guys that were uh you know that were were top tier level and we were all, we all shared it. We all shared the, the, you know, the top spot. It wasn't, you know, I think Austin and rock probably got a little more, uh, had a bigger fan base, but I think that everybody shared it extremely well. We, we were a team and we helped each other. We put each other over and, 
there weren't there weren't nobody was greedy nobody was saying i'm not doing a job for him right. everybody wanted to work together and make it work and uh that's why wwe did so well and and annihilated wcw and, and eventually bought them yeah and did, you know wrestling with all those guys and and being a part of that did you have a favorite match can you look back and say that was probably my favorite match yeah i mean it, it won't be it won't be recognized as my best but uh yeah. 2003 royal rumble chris benoit uh yeah. that was that was just that night was unreal i just had knee surgery i didn't think i didn't think i performed well and yeah. when i saw the match when i watched it back yeah. It was the best performance I ever gave. Um, uh, Chris was a mirror image of me. His intensity, his technique. Uh, we had such great chemistry, and uh, we tore it down that night. It was so good that I left the I left the ring and went to the back, and the fans gave Chris a standing ovation. And Vince McMahon let them do it for ten minutes on a pay per view. He never wow. does that pay per view. Yeah. Every minute counts. And Vince thought, you know what, we got to we got to let this go because this match was just, you know, I, when I got to the back, Triple H came up to me and said, you just raised the bar. Wow. I was like, whoa, uh, I've only been in the business three and a half years. And, you know, one of the best wrestlers of all time just told me I raised the bar. Uh, so that, it was cool because, you know, by then I was a good ring general. I, I, I put that match together. I structured 95% of that match with Chris. And, you know, Chris was great because he adapted and he, you know, he was easygoing and, you know, he, he put a lot of input, but he allowed me to do it that night. And, and he was always cool about that. He, he knew I had good submission trade-offs and I would tell a good story. So that match, and, and I have to say Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 21, and Undertaker, uh, No Way Out 2006. That match should have been a WrestleMania match. It wasn't yep. because you know, I was world champion. Undertaker was undefeated. Vince didn't want you know, me to beat him at WrestleMania and then the undefeated streak. So we decided to have that pay-per-view the month before. Just just to give Taker uh, a, a very memorable match. He wanted, to, by that point, he wanted a, a special WrestleMania type of match that he never got because he's he always wrestled guys that were new, that were a little yeah. green at WrestleMania. And Giant Gonzalez, no disrespect to him. Um, you know, other guys like um, I think he wrestled uh, A-Tran when he started out. Uh, there, there were just a lot of – and or he would wrestle somebody that was get, getting ready to retire that wasn't the same as they were 10 years prior. Yeah. So, But thank God after that, after 2006, he had matches with Shawn Michaels. He had matches yeah. with Triple H. He had matches with – uh, Sean, uh, uh, John Cena. So he got those WrestleMania matches, but up until that point, he didn't have one and he wanted one. And that's why he wanted to do it with me, but Vince turned it down and I don't blame Vince for that. Yeah. And you know, when, when you talk about your best matches for me, one of the most memorable ones is you doing a 60 minute Ironman match with Brock Lesnar. That is just, and, and Brock is a guy who does a lot of short matches. So to go 60 minutes, that's that's incredible for you two and i'm curious too when you when you have a match with a guy like brock who is accomplished on the amateur scene too did you guys share any kind of special bond because you both had that amateur wrestling bond oh oh yeah brock and i were tight we actually traveled together we were doing really? program together and we were traveling together was, brock and i were best friends at the time and uh the night before that match uh that's when my sister died of a heroin overdose and uh um, really and uh, I, I didn't want to wrestle the next day. Um, I, I thought about it. Vince McMahon called me and said, you don't have to do this, uh, but we, we would like you to do it if you, if you can. I said, well, Vince, let me get to that town. We'll travel there tonight. Let me see how I feel in the morning. I didn't sleep that night. I was really depressed. And I decided, I, you know what, I, I better do this because my sister would want me to. So I went and I, you're right, I, that 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 might have been the best Ironman match ever. Um, you know, I, I put it up there with HBK and Bret Hart. Uh, yeah. The difference was, you know, they didn't have a finish in the 60 minutes. Yeah. We had seven. Um, so we, we probably had an advantage because we were able to uh, have more finishes that the fans would get into. 
so the match was really well. Great story. Problem with the six minute Ironman matches, you can't memorize everything. Yeah. You you can you can memorize maybe fifteen minutes. The other forty five you have to improvise. And uh, Brock and I did that extremely well that night. And and Brock was only there. Geez. I don't know, maybe a year and a half at that point. So, I mean, I know he had two years trainer prior to that, but he was, he was, Brock was so talented. He was patient. He was smart. He was, uh, he was an in-ring beast, uh, quick as a cat, light on his feet, strong as an ox. Um, I've never been in the ring with anybody like him. He's a freak of nature. And, uh, and, and for him to do an Ironman match, that is literally impressive. Yeah, and, you know, looking back on your career, it's wild when I not only think about your success as a professional wrestler, but as an amateur wrestler, it's nuts. And, you know, we talked about it earlier, but you face with so much adversity. You mentioned your sister dying a night before a pay-per-view, and you've had issues with, you know, addiction and drugs and DUIs, and God has delivered you from that. And I'm curious, you know, when you when you battle these things that to the average person they seem so foreign like you were taking 65 like it in a day i think i heard you say in an interview how does an addiction like that when you when you have so much success and such a tough career how does something like that develop well i i broke my neck again in 2003 and that's when a doctor prescribed painkillers to me um when i started i was i was hooked uh I liked it. I loved it. I loved the feeling. Uh, made me feel uh, no pain. Um, it get, made me energetic. Some people make them tired. Made me feel energetic. And um, I started taking one, and then two, and then four, then eight, and it just uh, spiraled out of control. And the, the problem was when you start taking them, uh, that dosage doesn't help you anymore. You you yeah. you build a tolerance, and then you have to take more. And that, that's the problem with painkillers. Opioids is, you know, opiates are, are so bad. And uh, so I just got caught in it. And, uh, you know, and I want to clar clarify one thing. A lot of fans, you know, make fun of me and tell me I was perk Kurt Angle and I was high when I wrestled all the time. I didn't wrestle high. I stayed sober when I wrestled. I got high when I wasn't wrestling. After the match. Or I would take the pills in the morning. And I would, you know, my head would clear up and then I never wrestled high. Um, yeah. That would be the dumbest thing in the world. So um, I would always do it afterward or when yeah. I woke up in the morning, but I, I would stay away from it during the day. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was you, when you get caught in that stuff, it's hard to get out. And yeah. it, you get to a point where you no longer get high. You just don't want to have withdrawal. Yeah. So you take it so you don't have withdrawal. And uh, I got stuck in that. And that's, that, that was my demise of why I wanted to leave WWE. Uh, I also was getting injured so much. I was such a workhorse. I was working so much. And, you know, I was main eventing all the, all the house shows and the pay-per-views and uh, even wrestling at SmackDown and Raw quite a bit. I was really consistent with that. And I was getting a lot of injuries and just making my pain color problem worse. And, you know, I know the power of saying to someone, like, I've gone through this. I've endured that. I've been there. Like, I, I was living out of my car for a period of time. I've been dead broke. I've gone through so much. And it's such a powerful testimony and, and powerful words of encouragement to encourage someone. And I know you've developed an app. I know you speak a lot. I'm curious how, have, how you've been able to use your deliverance from addiction and the platform God's given you and how you've used that to help people in both from a cautionary standpoint, like, Hey, be careful. Don't get involved in this. And maybe if there's somebody in wrestling, whether amateur or professionally, professionally who struggles with that, what would you say to them to avoid all of that? Well, I always say immediately get help. Um, yeah. You can't, you can't kill it on your own. I tried to get sober on my own. It doesn't work. Um, you have to get professional help. And, uh, you know, they don't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that. Uh, but there's no other way. Um, so, uh, I think the, the biggest thing is you got to either go to your doctor and the doctor needs to control what you take, wean off of it uh, slowly so that you can get down to a decent dose and then, and then wean off of it even more until you're completely yeah. done with it or you got to rehab. And, uh, 
I didn't want to go through the pain of, of doing the withdrawal for a couple of months and weaning off the pills. I just wanted to get, get it done. So I yeah. went to rehab for a month and it was, uh, I, the, the pain I endured in there with withdrawal uh, was the first week was just uh, so scary that I literally knew I would never take another painkiller. I, I knew I wouldn't touch it. I didn't want to ever go through that feeling again. And uh, in the final three weeks I spent in, in rehab, I learned so much about my disease and what I had to do to refrain from it. And uh, it worked out extremely well. I've been seven years clean and sober. And uh, just uh, I, start, I started an app a few years ago, Angle Strong, and I would get on calls with people and talk to them about their situation. And uh, we did that for a few years, but uh, money was running out and we weren't getting yeah. sponsors, but we had to, you know, put it to an end. So now I'm uh, doing a deal with Banyan Addiction Centers and uh, we're in the process of signing a deal. I'll be doing speeches for them, uh, representing them, doing media days. Uh, I always stay in the addiction recovery business because it's what keeps me clean. Uh, helping others always helps me. So uh, when you give, it, it gives back to you. And I, I really believe anybody that's, uh, you know, a former addict or an, an addict himself, you're always an addict once you're in it. Uh, but anybody that's like that, um, they'll tell you it's great to be able to talk about it. You, you yeah. have to express yourself and, and tell, you what's, tell people what's bothering you and, and what you like and what you don't like. It just makes you feel better. And it, you know, you can, you can take things, you know, that load off your chest and, uh, you know, just talk about what you need to talk about and you feel better. And I imagine too, between both your relationship with Jesus and I think you have what, five kids, I've heard them running around, kind of playing around the office and I'm kind of chuckling, you know, as me and my wife get ready to start having kids, like it makes me smile to hear that. Like that's gotta mean so much to you to have, have these kids that look up to you, like and then to give back to not only make sure that you stay around and, and you stay healthy and clean, but other people who are going to endure that too, like, man, to miss out on that. I can't even imagine. I, I'm, I'm sure that's a blessing too, to be able to help impact other people saying, look what God's blessed me with. Don't miss out on this. Yeah. You're without a doubt. I, you know, I spent uh, half, you know, the first 45 years of my life, just, you know, worried about myself um i was very selfish and uh didn't worry about my wife or my kids it was all about me and what i had to do to make myself better or make more money or wh whatever it had to do now it's it's about them and um i it, it has made me a better person a better parent uh a better individual and uh i i love being a father and, and helping them now i'm going to their sporting events and helping <laughs> yeah. them you know and you know it's it, it, my dad did that for me. My brothers did that for me. And, and I feel that I need to do that for my kids. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the platform you have, and I'm curious on a completely different note, are you surprised right now? So many amateur wrestlers are going the MMA route. They want the bigger stage. They want the bigger flat platform, whether selfishly or selflessly, they want that bigger platform. And you see so many more wrestlers going the MMA route than professional wrestling. Are you surprised by that? Uh, no, I, I, I think that, you know, being an amateur wrestler, um, you know, that that's the, the MMA is, is such a great avenue for them to, to broaden their career, to go beyond the Olympics and the worlds and the college nationals and everything. You, you can continue your career there. <clears throat> like I'll give you an example. If you have, if there's a guy that's making the Olympic team and the world teams and you're in second and third place and you can never beat that guy and you keep trying for years and you can't, and he's not retiring and you're like, what am I going to do? I keep placing second. Well, you can go to MMA and, yeah. and broaden your career that way. Uh, so the difference between amateur wrestling and MMA is people will respect you if you have a 20 and 10 MMA record. Yep. People aren't going to respect you that much if you have a 20 and 10 amateur wrestling record. Yep. Because the only thing that matters in amateur wrestling, the only way to make money in amateur wrestling is to win champion. Yep. So 
it's hard to make money and it's hard to get notoriety when you're taking second over and over. Yeah. You take second in MMA, you're still a big name. And you're, you're making money and you're drawing people yeah. into their seat. So there's a, there's a difference with that. How much are you following the amateur wrestling scene right now? Like, do you stay up with a lot of it? Do you ever consider getting back involved from a coaching standpoint? Uh, no, not from a coaching standpoint, but I, I do keep up on it. We have a great team right now. Gosh, uh, our, our best team ever was uh, 1996 when I was on the team. <clears throat> but uh, this team <laughs> that's coming up this year, uh, I think they're going to be better <laughs> uh we have some great individuals right now and and they're all winning world medals and olympic medals and uh uh i think last year uh the whole team medaled except for one guy uh that's wow uh you know that doesn't happen very often so um <clears throat> i think that they're going to have a better team i think this would be the best one and it's great. I mean, I, I love these guys, uh, you know, the Kyle Dakes and the Jordan Burroughs and, you know, the, the Coxes and uh, the Snyders. And, you know, there are a lot of great wrestlers right now that have big names that uh, continue to stay in it. And thank God there's more money in it now. When I won the Olympics, I got 35 grand. Okay. You, you win the Worlds or the Olympics now, I think you get uh, 250,000. 250 grand yeah so yeah. there's a big difference there's more money in it now and yeah. the problem is you gotta win <laughs> yeah. so what the big big money you gotta win yeah yeah for sure last thing i want to talk to you about here you know i'm always curious of what wrestlers are doing off the mat or outside of the ring and i've seen you've been very active with this brand called physically fit and i'm just curious what it is and, and what you guys are doing with that well, my, my manager and I started a company, a supplement company, Physically Fit Nutrition. And uh, we came up with a lot of different products, but our best one is, is it just launched last week. It's called Physically Fit Chicken Snacks. We also have the Smart Snacks plant, organic plant protein. Uh, these, these products are incredible. We, we uh, did the taste testing and they, they, they sold off the shelves. They were, uh, every flavor is incredible. We have like, uh, they're made from white meat chicken, and they're a little snack, Chex Mix snacks. And uh, they're flavored barbecue and uh, sriracha. Uh, we have pizza flavor. We have cinnamon swirl that tastes like cinnamon crunch. Uh, we Those are really good for the kids. They're high-protein, low-carb snacks, and uh, we're going to do really well with this. We signed a deal with Amazon. We're going to private label for them. We're private labeling for Tony Little on the Home Shopping Network. And we're doing our own label. And uh, you can go to physicallyfit.com, physicallyfit.com to order. You'll see the products. Uh, we have four flavors of plant protein and seven flavors of the chicken snacks. So it's going to do extremely well. We've done well with our fiber and protein products, but this one's going to be the one. And uh, It's really special to me. I, I saw the, the ads for it. And I'm like, man, these actually look good. And I love the dad in you right away. It's like the kids will love it. <laughs> yeah. My kids eat all mine. So uh, I can't keep them. The only ones they don't like is the Sriracha because they're too hot. Yeah. But, you know, the barbecue and the pizza and the cinnamon swirl. They love it. Kids absolutely love it. And, and it's great because they, I mean, they're, they're about a hundred calories per serving, but they're 10 grams yeah. of protein, which is perfect. That's, that's 40% of the calories or, or protein. Uh, so it's a perfect meal. Uh, uh, you know, there's seven, seven servings per, per uh, bag, which is 70 grams of protein a bag for uh, $9.99. That's, that's a really, that's a buck 40 per serving. That's a really good price. So we've been able to get our price down pretty low. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, listen, man, I, I could talk to you for hours. I know you got kids running around. So I got to take son to karate. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go let you play dad real quick before I let you you go. You gotta fulfill the 18 year old Justin. You gotta give me an oh it's true, it's damn true. <laughs> you want me to do a promo for your uh, podcast? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's called Boston Mania Podcast. Right? Yep. All right. Hey, it's your Olympic hero Kurt Angle, and you're listening to the Boston Mania Podcast. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. <laughs>
<laughs> I love it, man. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time. You don't know how much it means to me. And I know the entire amateur wrestling community is going to enjoy this. So thank you so much. I hope we will speak soon. Have a good yes, day, my sir. man. Thanks for having me on, man. Take care. Always. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. For more wrestling content, be sure to follow Bash Mania on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow me. I'm at JBash on Instagram and at JustinJBash on Twitter. I'll be back with another episode shortly. See ya. And the beat goes on.